that's it. That it's was been my a while. excitement. <laughs> yes, it has been a while. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, Tubby? I've been very well, Yusuf. Thanks. Uh, yeah, what you yeah. been up to, man? What's kept us away for so long? Um, well, I got married. Oh, congratulations. You, know, you got engaged. I got engaged. <laughs> congratulations. You got married? This is amazing. <laughs> I'm following your lead, man. Yeah, well, I'm glad, you know. Yeah. It's a good a good trip to take. All right. All right. It's worthwhile. You're early, on. You're early on in the critical path of marriage, you know. Can you exactly. give me any spoilers? <laughs> no, just go to my walkthrough. You know? Your walkthrough? I got, I got a whole thing. Got to awesome. Awesome. Not take the second left yeah. after the third door. Oof. Ooh, yeah. Pitfalls. Totally. You know, you'll be sleeping on the couch for <laughs> several weeks. So nice. That one, I'm know? still working my way through the tutorial, man. Mm. We're actually, like, in the pregame. We're, like, still writing the rules. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty rough, you know. It's all the wedding planning <laughs> well, stuff. That's the, be- the beautiful thing. Yeah. No, you I'm know, really excited. you got to make it. Make it, make it good for you. Yeah. It's like the Minecraft of weddings. <laughs> <laughs> you get to build your own dug so deep. <laughs> you get to build your own so house. Deep. Yeah, man. I mean, it's actually kind of a good bridge, though, because uh, our, our game of the hour mm-hmm. is, uh, what is it, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we'll be talking about that in a little bit. But um, So we are into that love tip. Yeah, in the love, in the love tip, in yeah. the mutual cooperation to stave off disaster. Um, but in the meantime, what have you been playing? It's been a while. It has. So there's been a, quite a few games, but I guess we'll talk about the the game we've both been playing a bit, which was Fallout 4. Oh, yeah. Bethesda Studios, mm-hmm. um, their second uh, in, their second volley of the Fallout franchise. You know, they handed off to Obsidian right, for New that's Vegas. Right, that's right. Yeah, so this is their, yeah, yeah they didn't they're technically their second fall, uh, Fallout. Yeah. Um, and the fourth in the total series. But it doesn't really feel like, you know, of, it almost doesn't really feel like of the rest of the... the the game, especially the first two. Yeah, that's like, true. Like it really feels like a, a departure. It does, it, it's which I don't really mind. It's personally. weird to go. I mean, tell me why you think that. What like what what about it is such a departure for you? Well, it really stood out once I at some point I don't know why it happened, but I don't know if you saw it yet. They started playing some intro movies, like when it when it loads up and boots up and yeah, it plays totally. like kind of the vault, the, the special tutorials with the special is like your perk system, um, and essentially you. This is how you level up. It gives you your your upgrades and different things that make you a better. And there was also that live action role player. Yeah, like yeah, the live video action at the one, beginning. Yeah, the, like, intro. Yeah, the war never changes. Exactly. Yeah, which was totally on the level of what Fallout is now, but the animated videos. Yes, I love felt, those. Yeah, the they're amazing. Yeah. I was like really impressed with how good they yeah, were. Yeah, as an animator, I'm sure you. Yeah, I was like. It. Like normal, you know, I've, they had some for Fallout Three, but these mm-hmm. are just these are miles better. Like yeah, they were just totally. like so funny. The timing is really good. Oh, it's great. They're really kooky and kind of like have this interesting, like um, grotesque sort of humor. Yeah. Or like you know, it's like it plays like a educational video from the '60s, and then your guy gets his head blown off yeah. in a cartoony way. Is like totally don't, macabre. You know, don't try and pick a fight with a super mutant. And it shows the guy <laughs> just like punching you in the head and just like blood flying everywhere. Yeah. It's like. And it was really funny, and, and and you just don't get that as much in the actual game at, at all, really. Yeah, I guess like not. The game is, and the story of the game is completely delivered flatly, seriously. Mm-hmm. All the main plot lines are like, I gotta find my child. Yeah. You know, I have to, my wife is dead. Yeah. And it's like almost like noir-esque um, tone to a lot of the, of the major story Absolutely. beats. And um, while... Some of the environmental storytelling is funny. You find a lot of skeletons with their heads in toilets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the actual, the main thrust of the game is very is very serious. As long as you're following the plot. Yeah, it's true, and it's always been that interesting push and pull with games of that size, right? Like all these like Bethesda games and sort of massive open world games. You've got the critical path, which takes X amount of hours to like work through, but then you've got this like 
litany, this like huge ecosystem of like side quests. And I've found, at least the way that I'm playing, like there has still definitely been some humor in it. Like the voice, especially in the um, the Silver Shroud missions, which I know you haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. Um, those are hilarious. Like mm-hmm. there's just like really good uh, sense of character and sense of um, voicing. You know, like in the in the variety of like how your character will speak and how characters will speak to you, that I just found so hilarious. So. I found it really interesting. I think the the biggest thing, I'm only about like, you know, 15 to 20 hours in. I'm very early hours um, in the game. And what I found really interesting in the experience of playing Fallout 4 is that like, you were saying earlier that it kind of feels like a departure from the rest of the series. And I've been having this incredible experience where there's this tug of war going on between um, the deep similarities of the systems and the story elements of the game throughout the series since three let's say three new vegas and and fallout four mm-hmm. and there's this incredible feeling of like i've played this before oh yeah but it's still exciting it's it's i think it's the experience that a lot of other video game players have when they're playing those like mega franchise games like the maddens and like the call of duties that have like very incremental growth from one title to the next uh and not like revolutionary growth it's more like evolutionary and like small changes for each revision or whatever but i i've never really experienced that like there's some game franchises like i love metal gear where like the systems have remained by and large intact but they keep on adding more and more fidelity to them Mm -hmm. but like it to me this feels just like that it's the same basic premise fidelity hasn't really fallout through yeah i mean graphical fidelity hasn't changed at all or or systemic (laughs) but like systemic fidelity either and they've dressed it up differently they present it a little bit differently with the whole perk chart like unlocking sure. stuff differently but like honestly there's always going to be a brotherhood of steel there's always going to be you know the glowing ones there's always going to be all these like different elements of the game that i've just become so familiar with mm-hmm. and that's not to say that's a bad thing but i feel this incre- for the first time i think as a video game player i i feel this kind of like not fatigue but franchise awareness mm-hmm. i'm incredibly aware that i'm in a universe that i've chosen to re-enter um, yeah. that it's after the same war you know anchorage is mentioned which is like a you know plot point from the previous games and i just feel like i love it i'm having a great time mm-hmm. but i'm not jumping out of my skin excited like when i play a game that i've never played before that yeah. i really enjoy um it's about this, a, exploring you know you're not under uncovering this like new world i am but i'm not doing it in uh, my brain my mm-hmm. like physiochemistry is not experiencing newness yeah um, it's experiencing familiarity yeah. uh, and the sort of... Like, it's like coming home. Yeah, it feels like coming home to a terrible piece of the apocalypse. But, yeah. um, but at the same time, it's, it's an interesting tug of war in me where I'm like, I love this, this is new, this is a new story, this is a new fallout, but it feels the same. Mm-hmm. War indeed never changes, right? Like, yeah, they're, they're really nailing they that point home. In fact, yeah. in fact, in that intro movie where it's like, war, war never changes... There's that interesting moment because it's again a Bethesda game full of all of its warts and all, but um, there's that terrible bit of loading stutter between when that cinematic ends and you wake up in the bathroom yeah. and you're like choosing your face. Yeah. And what I thought was hilarious was they begin and end that monologue and that sequence with War Never Changes. Um, and there was a weird kind of like hiccup in my PS4 load of the game. Mm-hmm. So it, the cinematic ended with it being like War. And there was like a very dramatic. <laughs> the game is loading. Pause. And he like you're in the bathroom. Never He's like war never changes. War war never changes. I was like I guess it never changes. Uh. 
Like, gotta get it out. It's like the voice actor is yeah. cringing. He like so doesn't want to say it. Maybe he was sitting on the toilet and he was yeah, just like, like, really struggling. Hold, hold on a second. Hold on. Oh, honey, don't come in yet. Yeah. Honey, yeah. this is not going to be pretty. Whatever she not, is. He's not ah! like me. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, lo- you know, your wife loves you in the mirror but doesn't love you before yeah, she man, gets that's, in the mirror. Yeah, man, that's when you know. That's when you know it'll last forever. Yeah, when exactly. When you start using the same bathroom. <laughs> um, that's my walkthrough. That's so, your walkthrough. Yeah, <laughs> that's my tutorial. <laughs> totally. Chapter three. Chapter three. Pooping in the same toilet. Yeah, and I'd be remiss to not mention, um, like, uh, partway into playing it, I, I wrote a little blog piece about um, it's something I found interesting in, in Fallout 4, like, that came back to me while playing it was that it's, you know, from that familiar, familiar, uh, familiarity with the series, some things you, like, kind of expect to cover, and it doesn't really cover, like, race. Oh, God. And, it, and it's yeah. really interesting to me because, like, in some ways it does a really good job with, like, allowing you to. Um, pick whatever race you want sure and it's what's even crazier and cool is like if you um ha- have like you have you, you'd have a mixed race baby I have, yeah i have a mixed race baby. yeah which yeah. is just like wow that's pretty awesome and like they don't bring attention to it it's just like something that's like natural and like this is just what happens when this yeah. two phenotypes mix together totally and like it's not just like a, a big deal isn't made out of it but at the same time it's like i kind of compare it to um something like it's something that happens with a lot of like kind of future sci-fi mm. uh, conceits where you, it's made in the present t- day, and so we're like, okay, let's bring in a lot of different diverse like, diversity in actors, mm-hmm. but not ever draw attention to like the prejudices that rule our society. Yeah, and then follow up is is kind of based in the fifties and the sixties. Yep, and it's. It's a really interesting tightrope they managed to walk where they don't ever mention the fact that the 50s are racist as hell. I know, man. And, and like, you're like, it's that, that retrofuturism. It's yeah. almost like watching an old Star Trek episode yeah. where it's like, it's post racial. Yeah. Like, it not only in its continuum of time, like, it takes place post, like, racial America, let's yeah, say, yeah, or yeah, racial yeah. globe. Yeah. Like, we've moved beyond those problems to, yeah. like, bigger Klingon problems, let's totally. say, which is another weird race issue in itself. But um, it, it's interesting because, yeah, at least in Star Trek, there have been... And they've brought, they bring attention to it. Yeah, they bring it's it like, I, oh, in yeah. our terrible past, we used yeah. to, like, hurt each other and, big, you yeah. know, we were bigots towards each other yeah. and, like, we moved beyond that because now we're, like, the awesome unified human race. But, yeah, you're right. It's like... I did, I mean, I have in my narrative of the critical path, I have this mixed race child who's like skin is way darker than the character that I'm playing mm-hmm. as who has like, who's like not a white protagonist either, but like is totally not of that level. But it's, there's no, it's all, yeah, it's just like, it's not even sidestepped. It's just it's like, kind of, yeah, way, it's like not or, even yeah. like, it's not even mentioned. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no sidestep. There's just no step. Like, yeah, I kind of bring up Star Trek as well. Cause I'm like, it's a good example of when you have that, uh, idea of a post-racial future mm-hmm. but it was it was derived it was like invented by gene roddenberry roddenberry to yeah. to fight racism yeah. and fight like prejudice because he was like trying to make a statement about how messed up like prejudice and racism and sexism and homophobia and all that is totally by creating a kind of utopian sort of society to, to a certain extent and showing like you know this is what we could do and also let's show different cases of societies where they they haven't embraced you know this future yet and like kind of like this interplay between what could be and what we're constantly in danger of falling into absolutely i mean and to i gotta give some credit to the writing which is i think even in its own abstracted way and even if it might end up having more to do with like the red scare like Mm -hmm. 
you know the members or like the the invasion the invasion of the body snatchers kind of motif mm. like there's like the anti synth sentiment yeah. that runs through the game but that feels so much like fantasy racism oh of course yeah no it's yeah. once removed yeah. it's it's like orcs it's, are black people yeah orcs are exactly yeah, orcs super are mutants people. are black people like, you know. trade delegation is definitely <laughs> like what is it the star wars prequels oh, where you're like oh god Chinese. george yeah please <laughs> yeah no it's 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 a um a using it as an analogy or as a as a placeholder yeah. for racism where it's like no actually but you've taken the 50s and you have criticized a lot of a lot a lot of the aspects of American culture of the post-war sure. Cold War years, yeah, yeah. like you know, our you know patriotism, mm-hmm. our the Red Scare, absolutely, the kind of emergence of corporations and um, there's, like, there's so much of the anti-corporate yeah, like, like message in the game. There's Randianism that's like taken apart, like the Brotherhood of Steel, are like all about like this like technocracy, like we hold all the technology, we hold all the power. There's a lot going on in the game for sure. Big thematics that again have been at play since the inception of the series. Mm-hmm. So we keep on exploring and keep on exploring them. But there has, you, like you're saying, there's. I don't think there is an addition of a yet that I've noticed. There isn't an addition of a plot point that like so clearly points to contemporary race issues, which are you know critical and which are absolutely a part of our discourse today as mm-hmm. the game players in yeah. our worlds. But you know, it's it's and interesting. they were arguably part of you know the day during the fifties, the dawn of the civil rights. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. And it's like if that's the motif they're going like, to borrow from, and they then they leave behind uh, like you know conspicuously, yeah. like the this this era where like you know if you're black, you weren't going to have the same time and the same memory of the fifties as, if, as no. if you were white. And so I think like, the warming glow of the fifties is like. It's a very, I mean, we know that in film, like with, what was it, oh, yeah. um, Redemption Road, not Redemption Road, whatever the one with the Sam Mendes, the director with uh, DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Anyway, oh, yeah. so there's a lot of films and there's a lot of places, like a lot of mm-hmm. motifs of like exploring that the exact aviator? golden age. Yeah, the <laughs> uh, golden age of, that's a little bit earlier. I'm talking like just post-World War II, um, where we had regiments of African-Americans who were like at least commanding themselves on the battlefield were mm. earning the respect of American culture in a way that was pre-civil mm. rights movement but post, you know, yeah. segregation America. But the issue was very much still alive, oh, right? Like, it was still alive in America, but I think we were all, like, so... Or at least from my reading of American history, we were all so buzzed off of victory and mm-hmm. buzzed off of, like, the moral high ground that, you know, it was, like, the greatest generation. It's all the stuff that we call it. Like, yeah. that kind of feeling, I think... If we had paused the world at that exact moment and detonated a thermonuclear holocaust, mm-hmm. there is the Fallout mm-hmm. game. Like two hundred years later, the game picks up, yeah. and it's like post Truman. It's like, what if we extended that Truman esque, like, you know, uh, Randian again, yeah. like and Randian, like America might by right, right by might. Sorry, um, uh, optimism, really, just like optimism. That's mm-hmm. why I think there's so many goddamn futuristic toasters around the game. It's like. I mean, not only for oh, spare sure. parts, right? That you get but the for idea of your shelter, the, but... of the suburbs in the American yeah, exactly life. But then, of course, the suburbs are incredibly racially coded. Absolutely, you know, they're born out of white people trying to leave the cities. Yeah, totally. So, and I'm not trying to make an apology. I just no, think I mean, that there's I've, like there's definitely like oh, there's a there's at least a consistency in the writing. I think that we could source in that period of American history again. Like I, I need to go back and do a little bit more. Sure. Uh, reading because like I feel like there's that bit of whitewashing or like the Vaseline over the lenses during that ten year stretch of like the end of the war. It's really a, yeah, the, it's really an interesting point that it is our, our cultural recollection of the fifties more than it is like an accuracy of it. But that in itself is problematic because it shows how 
when we present the 50s in, in yeah. cinema and modern literature, like a lot of it does whitewash and erase. Absolutely. The, the, you know, that's why you have like, you know, people who, um, I always forget what they're called, but you know, people who like riding convertibles around and dressing like they're from the 50s. Oh yeah, the greasers like, or the whatever. Greasers yeah, yeah. And Elvis Swing kids and all that shit. Yeah. You know, the, it's like kind of the appropriating the... Absolutely. The, the, it's appropriation, yeah. Historical culture. aesthetic and, yeah, and the, and the without, without any of the context, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Without Actually, the, yeah, the, without the, the context, yeah. yeah. That's so interesting, because then you, like, strip an entire history away, and you're left with a visual motif yeah. or a costume, exactly. right? And it doesn't even fully represent the horrors of the period that produced it. It's just yeah. an aesthetic. It's just a motif, a greaser. Yeah. And some, or, you know, is, what's interesting is, like, they, they do sometimes pierce that when they get into the, into the, the horrors of nuclear war, of, mm-hmm. of the Red Scare, and... You know, one of my most memorable moments from Fallout Three was when they, when you you could stumble into this house that's like based off the Ray Bradbury "There Will Come Soft Rains" uh, oh, short story. Yes, uh, I forgot what the house in Fallout is called, but it's like basically completely like uh, recreates that short story in the game, and it's like the idea of this uh, futuristic house where everything's automated, yep. but everyone's dead because of you know nuclear war and, and Ray Bradbury's story. So like, and so you kind of get that that the fictional um the fictional like um inspiration that that you could you see in fallout elsewhere absolutely and they actually made it concrete in that one kind of piece of just really out of the way uh house like exactly i just found that after 100 hours of playing the game i was kind of wandering around dc and i was like what's oh is that house you go into like it's pretty rare you go into a house in that game and then you go in and it has this all all the terminal readings and like kind of Show it and like references the story, and it's like really, it was like really haunting because it's such so a haunting cool. story. It, it's actually that what you just sort of uh, shed some light on is like one of my favorite aspects of playing Fallout games is not actually the um, first party story, like the story that mm-hmm. is scripted with voice acting and with dialogue choices, and even in some cases, written materials like the terminals that you read and decode. I love just like the visual and the environmental storytelling that's going on. Like I busted into this place in Boston, uh, in like the actual city. And it was like a consumer, like robotics store, Mm -hmm. like show, show, showroom. And I had to like fight through all these different robots and it was great. It was exactly what I expected. Mm -hmm. But what I loved was when I was just going through the looting process after I'd killed all the enemies and I'm going through looting. What I love is the meticulous placement of objects and skeletons that, just tells little stories yeah so like i had basically crawled and creeped around a set of ventilation ducts because i was like i'm a video game player and Mm -hmm. there's a traversable (laughs) area of this building i haven't been to let me see if there's anything back there and lo and behold as many many different buildings will have there were like two skeletons propped up as if they had died in a seated position on the ground and there were little bits of food and uh like a pistol um and some ammunition and a little radio and they were tucked hidden back in like the ventilation area yeah, where like the really HVAC of, yeah. of the building was and it la- that lack of supplemental written material that lack of um, any sort of definitive story that the developers coupled with that arrangement of goods allowed my brain for those minutes to imagine the last few minutes of those two people's lives yeah. it's like the robots all probably went out of control 200 years before I even explored this place. Sure. And They've been they, out of control for 200 yeah, years. And they died back there, yeah. you know, waiting for rescue yeah. or uh, promising to, like, never let themselves go jack or whatever whatever the end was. Sure. No, the yeah, game yeah. allowed me to find that 
arrangement that maybe it nobody else will too, ever find. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's and beautiful. make up my own story. I mean, they really, and I think they really doubled down on that. And in Fallout Four, I, like I see, I see a lot more of those stories, and I, I think it's probably their strongest improvement to like to that formula. Yeah, totally. So, uh, yeah. what else were you playing? Let me think. Um, it's Fallout Four. I played a bit of Bloodborne. I know mm-hmm. that's one of your favorites from the We've last year. We talked about it in the earlier episode. Yep, totally, and I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I don't think I'll ever finish <laughs> a Souls game. But I'm really enjoying it. Uh, what I think of the aesthetic and the oh, the gothic. Awesome, awesome. I actually like. I think it's um, what's amazing to me. And again, it's funny that we're you know bringing this up right after we talked about Fallout Four. Is the incredible sameness of that series, right? Like yeah. you go into a Souls game and you know exactly what you're getting. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe this is like, maybe this is kind of an elbow in time for the video games genre, where it's like we are recognizing our gigantic franchises and we as players our canons yeah our canons (laughs) our grand theft autos our calls of duty our our maddens our fifas our you know our souls games and we're writing much like traditional media markets do like film like books like television we're writing a known quantity you know until it's logical conclusion which might not happen and like from the very first demon souls which i actually evaluated for Atari when I was working in business development for them and I was like yo we need to sign this game and they didn't Mm -hmm. Um, many many choices at Atari happened that way Mm -hmm. Um, but I I realized that I'm basically when I popped in Bloodborne I'm still playing Demon Souls yeah and that's wonderful uh, but I think myself as a player I play those games up to the point where the second wave recedes and the third wave comes on and I'm like around level 27 or 28 and I'm I was feeling really great and feeling really strong and knew the layout of like all the like castle up to the point where I was at and then I came back to the game like a few days later and I was an ant again and like it opens up a whole new set of double doors of like creepy gothic double doors like three times my height lean against it move in and I'm like oh (laughs) shit cobwebs falling down everywhere there's like a totally new like maze behind this door yeah I have no idea what I'm doing I'm an ant again yeah and I think somewhere in my brain, I don't necessarily have the durability of character to keep on going back to being nothing again. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, which is what the game demands. That it you is. Know. It demands that you it want to down. be Sisyphus. Like, you yeah. want to be Sisyphus. Exactly. And you constantly want that boulder to roll over you again so that you can learn to push it back up to the crest of the hill again. And I... It never gets to the point, which, which Fallout certainly does, where, like, you get... Uh, you level up enough and you play enough that nothing is a challenge. Oh, yeah. Or like in Skyrim. Bethesda games. (laughs) Which is fun. (laughs) I I enjoyed it to a certain point. I think it was around level 33 of Skyrim Mm -hmm. where the dragons went from being terrifying to being a chore. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I don't know about this anymore. And I beat the game. Yeah. But just, I think, yeah. This is like a different philosophy of of game design where it's like, you know, the open world that you eventually master. I think actually Witcher 3 has done a really good job of of, of keeping that keeping the challenge especially with the DLCs that have come out recently have been like you know pretty challenging sweet so. I, I still haven't played it I'm, I'm gonna definitely tee it up at some point early 2016 well we'll say about Bloodborne you shouldn't quit until you get to Castle Kanehurst Kanehurst because that is a cool cool location and cool. it's like I mean it's kind of optional so you could do it earlier than you need to or okay. or whatever but it's like it's a. I won't say much about it, but it's probably one of my favorite places in the game. Sweet. Is it up those gigantic stairs? Is it like you can't get to it? It's like not physically 
associated. It's not physically. Oh, it's in like the, the world. dream. It's like the. It's not, it's not in the dream either. Hypogean gal, hypogean. It's kind of like that, but the hypogean gal is in the world. Oh my god! So I'm just letting blown. you know that it is. It does connect back to the world. And that's another thing. Like I'm all for <laughs> not spoon feeding an audience a story. Yeah. But I feel like Bloodborne is both ridiculously opaque mm-hmm. right it's like yeah. it's like no i won't tell you my story and also the story is so elemental mm-hmm. it's so like basic yeah and i don't mean that that's, as an insult no, absolutely. That's, i don't mean it as an insult it's key yeah. it's both so simple and so opaque that i don't play those games for the story yeah. i'm actually just playing those games like i play an old castlevania and that's the thing i really yeah, i just went back stories, and i yeah. played uh, symphony of the night recently mm-hmm. um and i was like oh oh the souls games are just a 3d mm. Symphony of the Night. Like a good 3D Symphony of the Night. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> it's even it's even apparent in the way that they hide their hidden paths. Oh, really? Like, yeah, you like if you remember the old 2D Symphony of the Night, it's like, you would always find those double high rooms where yeah. you know that there's like platforms you can jump on to like reach, or reach like higher areas. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'd see like single offshoot corridors. Yeah. And as an instinct, I'd know to like look for a hidden passage somewhere stacked under or over the single that's attached to a double and lo and behold bloodborne and the souls games do a very similar thing where like verticality mm-hmm. is often employed for mm-hmm. your like general traversal of the area yeah. but it's also really interesting because it's like organized in a way that it's like i know you know i have secrets <laughs> you should find them yeah, and so yeah, once you like yeah. learn the logic of the secrets yeah. it just felt like a felt like a castlevania game to me that's interesting and i love that i love it's, a yeah. good castlevania game it's more so organic like, souls know. games are like 3d castlevanias and bloodborne really has a lot more of those like Dark Souls 2 is a lot more like uh, the levels are more spoke-like and they kind of came out from this hub world but yeah. Bloodborne you can really find some cool shortcuts where totally. you're just like you're coming out from an area that you thought you had completely explored and you come up the backside and you're like what? And I remember Dark Souls 1 did a really great job of that yeah, as well. Where absolutely. I was like, what? Is- oh yeah, open, I know you open that. the door yeah. and you're like huh? huh Wait huh? a second I'm a hero! <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah it's so great. I just went Oprah on one, that one. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing about the story I just, I just kind of uh, I was thinking about when you were saying it was there's like two stories which I, I think it's so cool like basically there's a story there's a there's the and please spoil it no I mean just like <laughs> the idea of the fact that there's like a story when you're playing the game and then you're like I'm, I'm in this world I'm oh that guy's gonna kill me I'll kill him that other guy's gonna kill me I'll kill him I'm gonna whoa I got more powerful I'm gonna go explore and see what's going on and then like you know this god tells me to go do this I'm gonna go do it and then uh, I finished the game. I'm not sure what happened, um, but that was fun. And then you kind of go back and like, and then you try and figure out what the actual story is. And then you're like, oh, sh-. it kind of recolors all of your actions in a different context. Oh, cool. Which is what's so great about it. You're That's like, really cool. Because there's, the, there's always the underlying message that what you're doing isn't inherently good. No, no. You feel like a villain the yeah. whole time. Yeah. I mean, even though there's terrible things of death and destruction yeah. around you, yeah. you also kind of feel like a terrible person Absolutely. of death and destruction. I mean, it's the whole thing that Bioshock did yeah. um, without it being so obvious. <laughs> Heavy-handed. And on, and on the yeah. nose. Where, like, you are doing so bad things. So you're a bad guy. <laughs> bad, baddie, bad So how does it feel to be a bad guy? Well, the, the Souls games are just like... Everybody's terrible. It's a very nihilistic spot. It is a very nihilistic game, actually. It's it it paints in blacks, like the deepest mm-hmm. soul blacks. <laughs> like you stared into the void, and now the void is staring back. I love into the you. void, and you're dead, 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 and you're dead. <laughs> and a hundred thousand times. Yeah, exactly. Or I don't. So yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think eventually I'll go back to it. Um, but it's understandable that you would that it would turn people away because yeah. 
I mean, just from how you described it, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound very appealing. It, yeah, it's opaque. <laughs> and, and practically, I got engaged, uh-huh. and that's a game that really relies upon short and medium memory. Mm. Like, you, once you become adept at the skill of playing the game, you won't really lose that. You'll get the, like, parry, mm-hmm. critical, backstep. Like, I have a rhythm of the way that I play the game. Um, but what's really critical, to me anyway, the way that I play the game is, like, I need to memorize enemy spawn locations i need to memorize boss patterns i need to memorize enemy movement and enemy attack patterns i need to memorize my own weapon distances draw lengths all these different things that are mm-hmm. super critical to becoming like you know not an ant yeah. <laughs> um that to me takes hours of consecutive play so it became kind of cumbersome to have to always set aside more at least two hours at a time sure. to actually make forward progress like i could i could farm souls or blood whatever's mm-hmm. like all day mm-hmm. like or like for my 45 minute play sessions i would set a personal goal to like raise my level by one yeah. right yeah but to really make forward progress yeah. i needed a lot of time yeah. and that's something that i just don't fail. have the luxury to, yeah exactly yeah. any time to fail i just didn't have a luxury to do sure. it in my life that makes sense yeah all right so uh so our video game of the hour mm-hmm. is Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Yes, by Asteroid Based, I believe. Asteroid Based, Asteroid based okay. Studios. And are they actually based on an asteroid? That would know. be quite... I, I don't know. It's, it's far-fetched. Uh, unhealthy. <laughs> Truly <laughs> hurtling forever. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't think our Wi-Fi reaches that far. No, no. <laughs> Bouncing games back to Earth. Yeah, so this is a interesting game in how... I know I was exposed to it, probably you the same, in, in festivals. It was one of those yeah. games that like uh, you just ended up seeing in a lot of uh, game festivals. Yeah, and it's funny. Like you were saying earlier while we were playing it, I don't think very many people are really talking about this game uh, quite as much as I think they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really fun game. It's uh, couch co-op, mm-hmm. right? It's like a uh, multiplayer game required, right? Or can you play with... I believe there is an AI campaign, an AI, an AI mode where you can play by yourself. But I feel like the real essence that sounds of the really game, impossible. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I, I mean, like haven't the tried essence it. of the game is definitely, um, you know, couch co-op. Yeah, and that's a bit of a curio these days. Like the market's more oriented towards online uh, multiplayer, but this is a couch cooperative game mm-hmm. um, where you play as two squishy lovers. Yes, um, quite piloting a spaceship through nefarious nebulas of, of anti-love, right? Mm-hmm. It's called anti-love? Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> right. But, I mean, yeah, essentially you are... Actually, the, the, the mechanic of that reminds me a lot of Beyond Good and Evil mm. uh, because you have, the, you have the little friends that get trapped by these yes. green monsters that put them in cages and, you know, fly, fly off with them. Or if we want to yeah. trace that genealogy back all the way, if you're saving fuzzy animals from evil robotic yep. things, it's going to be Sanic. Sa- Sanic, <laughs> Sanic the Hedgehog. Yeah. The very first animal rights liberator. Yeah, that's true. And he's yeah, a kid fuzzy friends. Yeah. And end of the stage, they all dance together. I love They're that. so I happy. That. So yeah, you're saving little space bunnies by piloting your ship around these dangerous kind of maze-like two-dimensional spaces. Yeah. And to pilot the ship, you have uh, you can't you basically have two players, and they can navigate the inside of the ship which is a circle a hollow circle that has several gun stations and shield and engine stations so it's a lot like um it was like ant farms in a way like yeah the it's, a, it's a bit motif. of a, a miniature yeah. ant farm and then 
you to actually get anything done, you have to get to the station. You have to work together to figure out who's doing what. So like running and jumping around the spaceships insides to man these stations. Yeah. yeah. There's a bit of a mini platformer aspect yeah. to it. Yeah, and I like that. It's, it led to a lot of really wackadoodle moments where I yeah. like, kept on missing the ladder. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sorry, Yusef, I can't yeah. help you here. Now we're getting pummeled, pummeled from all sides. <laughs> I just, will... The guy's just like jumping us the wall. Yeah, I like... will admit my lack of skill in some of those situations. No, no. But I think it was actually cool because I like... Uh, cooperative games that allow for asymmetrical skill. Like, I found that you were a way better pilot than I was, or, like, we could effectively reduce the amount of damage we were taking because mm -hmm. you were a way better pilot than I was, and you could avoid both incoming enemy shots and crashing into a wall like a pinball, like I was so good at doing. <laughs> um, but I was really good at gunning, or I could, like, mm -hmm. stay competently, you know, good at gunning and keep us alive long enough to beat the level. Yeah, it was fun to kind of recognize our, our mutual strengths. Mm -hmm. Because that was something that um, I played a lot with my wife, Vivian. Mm -hmm. um, and we were I was probably good at it at this point when we just played it because I played through it twice with her. Oh, nice. Um, just because she's, she's really into it. She loves it. And uh, we, we have a good history of playing catch co-op games whenever we have a good accessible one. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we actually played through all, all of Borderlands in split-screen mode. And it reminds me of it because there's, there's a, in Borderlands you can drive around in the map and the UI is notoriously not great in the first Borderlands. Terrible. <laughs> so you, it, essentially since it was a split screen, she would hop in the buggy and just open the map. and Or she'd hop in the gunner seat of the car and, and open the map and I would just drive and then we could both look at the map and figure out where to go. I love it. Like so gaming like, the yeah. game. And it's like, a road, it's like a road trip almost. Like where you're like the person on the passenger seat that has the map open is like trying to find the, the you know what turn to take. That's awesome, dude. That's and you're awesome. like, do I make it here? And you're like, no, 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 go a little further. And you're kind of talking back and forth and it's not part of, yeah, it's not a part of the game that's necessarily encouraged or on the back of the box. Yeah, exactly. But, it's it's great. It was like a, a great example of of where couch co op can can not nearly can not merely be about the relationship between you and the television, but it's also like your interplay in the Absolutely. couch. Absolutely, and actually that bodes incredibly well for your marriage because I can't remember the doc <laughs> I can't remember the doctor's name, but there was a uh, a relationship counselor, like a like a relationship therapist, who actually started using cooperative couch couch cooperative video games uh, as the icebreaker for the first few sessions that he'd have couples oh, really? come in. Yeah, there was wow. like a whole uh, report about it and it was a really interesting article that I read when I was still working at Kill Screen a mm. few years ago and like, it was amazing because I think when you're playing these couch co-op games, at least for this, you know, therapist, he found that it was a really great way to shortcut to the actual relationship dynamics that are mm. at play because what is a video game but like this giant interactive problem to solve right yeah. like it's going to give you a set of conditions that you can move and interact in and then it's going to test you in your ability to like solve that problem over and over again at increasing difficulty mm. and so he found that there were some couples that would be like you know immediately like bickering and like you know sort of like snipping at each other about like what they were getting wrong or what they were doing you know uh, less skilled than the other and there were other couples that were like you know, really, like, helping and, like, being very encouraging. There were asymmetries within certain relationships where one was getting angry, the other was trying to be, like, servile to the other. And this, you know, therapist found that it was just, like I said, a really great way to shortcut to the core of a relationship. Mm -hmm. So It brings up the stress. Yeah, man. You know, when you have to solve You play problems. together, you stay together, man. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I can... I can sometimes get a little stressed. I keep on hearing about this beast of yours, dude. Yeah. We were on the football team together, and I never even saw it then, man. You've got some, you've got some beast in you. I don't mean that you were no, a good no. football player. I just mean, like, 
I wasn't. That like <laughs> hatred of losing, man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That shit. No, you, no. you hide that well, man. I try, but yeah. I sometimes fail, and yeah. it's fine. You know, you get stressed and you move on. Yeah, totally. And Absolutely. that's part of being human. You're n- yeah, you're never going to easily approach the problem, and that's the beauty of the game. It's like you, you kind of have these moments of like where you're coasting along, and then all of a sudden the 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 danger and the uh, kind of decision making gets really like intense where you're just like I, like you're just like that part where we're trying to run away from a bunch of aliens and then like there'll be some on the left and on the right you're like which side do I block on the shield and you have to kind of make the decisions in like a split second yeah and communicate with your partner because yeah. there's got to be someone piloting the ship or both of you taking on guns that are at different axes like yeah. cardinal directions of the ship and I love that I love that like the game has basically set up a system where there are you know, virtually physical limitations that mm-hmm. require partnership to overcome. Mm-hmm. Like each of the guns can only arc in 180 degrees, and yeah. there's four cardinal directions represented. So, in theory, you could be shooting and covering 360 degrees all the way around this vehicle, but you got to work together to do it. Yeah, you, you know? got to figure out. I'm oh, sorry, 90 degrees for each gun. My bad. Um, and so it's really. I love those moments and you know of course it reminded me of the experience of playing a game like Space Team Mm -hmm. where you know codenamed the yelling game like everyone's (laughs) basically just like trying to get the other partners to like press a button or turn a dial that's displayed on their screen and I I just love that experience maybe it's because I'm like latently uh, uh, I'm I'm obsessed with team building in my life and friendship and Mm -hmm. like the like interpersonal bonds so those kinds of game experiences for me cut really deep and like in a good way like really get to the core of like why i play i play to connect with people Mm -hmm. i play to connect with myself you know when i'm playing fallout 4 let's say but i'm really when i'm playing with someone else i would rather uh work with you than against you i think i learned so much about you know the other person when i'm like working as a team yeah that's why i tend to I like communication in, in, like, in on, online games, and it often it is a drawback of online games. Yeah, you know, even though even say you're playing with friends, like you can you can communicate, but it still isn't immediate, and they have less of an obligation to to respond back or True. to to kind of be upfront and and helpful. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes they're feeling tired or doesn't don't want to you know um, engage as much. But like when you're on a couch, like you just get that immediate energy that, that feeds off of the person you're playing with. Absolutely. That you then feel compelled to, to speak up more and to, like, kind of... Def- I don't know. You, I feel like a game like this wouldn't work online. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, and even with the, like, even with perfect zero latency communication mm-hmm. and chat, I don't think it would have the same feeling. I'm reminded of... Uh, the great American orator. Uh, his name is Studs Terkel, which is such a wonderful name already. Uh, but Studs Terkel is just this amazing speaker. Um, and he wrote beautiful essays, but his the meat of his career was about speaking out loud. He would write his words or prepare his speech, but then he would speak it. And he was obviously heavily invested in the human voice and the power that it commands. And I think that in his way, even a recording created a distance that was... Uh, less intimate than the spoken word in a group and so he has this beautiful uh i highly recommend you can find it online um it's him in a recording obviously he passed away uh a few years ago many years ago sorry no in the thousands maybe anyway passed away years ago but it's a beautiful short speech minute and a half uh called what has happened to the human voice 
and it's beautiful. He just like he intones like you know why don't we basically speak to each other anymore in public spaces, um, and it's something that I feel like a game like Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time is a few steps behind the market mm-hmm. and the way that we've chosen to like communicate with each other and play with each other. Um, and maybe that's why it's not getting as much press coverage, but I feel like that's why it's all the more vital for players to pick up and try. Yeah. You know, we're I've, moving away from intimacy in a I lot get. of ways. Like, m- my fiance lost her, f- her phone this week, mm-hmm. and it was a disaster. It was a disaster, mm-hmm. right? Like, she needs it for her work. She's a yoga teacher. She needs to, like, coordinate with her private students and all this stuff. But it was also this interesting moment where... I got to, as secondary, as someone who did not lose their phone, I got to kind of replay the entire process. And we, you and I, were in an exact age group where we, like, we went we went from, like, one ho- phone at home mm-hmm. per household mm-hmm. to, like, super pocket computer. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> what are we doing with that super pocket computer? We're, like, finding ways first to, like, reduce talk time into text time. Mm-hmm. Now we're reducing text time into, like, emoji stuff Mm. like we're not even using words to communicate anymore we're like cutting down to the bare essence the minimalism of what it takes to like express an emotion sure but are we losing some fidelity of emotion in the process and certainly not to say that there isn't benefit to online play and online communication it's also it's really just that i'd rather not sacrifice you know the Mm -hmm. the the benefit of of that local um get together like being able to get together in, yeah. in a local spot you know the the arcade the the friend's house where yeah, you're all like you do you an know. amazing thing with your <laughs> halloween game party every year dude like that's thank you something that that's... i look forward to every year and i haven't made it every year, but it's something that i like, <laughs> deeply look forward to every year because it's a social gathering to mm-hmm. play yeah like when do yeah, adults get to do that some of my favorite uh times playing video games like hands down just like you know when i get to experience them in the same place with somebody yeah even if it's not even a multiplayer game, just being able to comment on a game. That's true. Which is like, I mean, we the, the experience of playing like Until Dawn, for example, yeah. at your Halloween party was great. Because yeah. like, it was essentially taking the form of a slasher film. Yeah. Like, like a teenage slasher, mm-hmm. slasher film. But by nature of one person in the room actually controlling the action, it became yeah. that much more compelling. It's so interesting. Yeah. Because I, I feel like if, and if it was just me making the action, it wouldn't even be as interesting. Yeah. Even though that that does make it interesting as a as a media product, but what really drives that interaction and the 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 excitingness of it and the addictiveness of making those decisions is how it plays off people who are watching. That's do true. It. You can see the reaction. You kind of in like, room. all right, I'm gonna you know make her go into that dark room. Yeah. And <laughs> everyone's like, no, no, dude, no. no. Like, Which I am great. making yeah. a terrible choice. It's like you're really lot people in the theater, like yelling at the screen. Totally. Don't go there. Oh my god! But then you can actually just yell at the person. And they're just like, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's really that, that is a, a good example of like a game that benefits from. Yeah, just like a crowd from a crowd. Yeah, and it's kind of like I feel almost like there's a interplay with board games too. Like where mm-hmm. like the board game crowd probably would have re- would be really into like lovers. I think so too. It might be a great bridge for the board game crowd yeah. to get into video games because like I think it's. It's completely uh, legible, you know. Mm. It's it's very basic commands like a jump, a move in cardinal directions on the joypad, and an activate machine I'm sitting at button. So like, it's immediately playable. Yeah, it's a Nintendo era, like original Nintendo era um, game in terms of its complexity. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's like vastly replayable. Mm-hmm. It requires multiple players, in my opinion. I know you yeah. can play it with AI, but I feel like the experience really sings with multiple players. 
and honestly it, it's funny i was just thinking like speaking of board games like my, my own company we made a game based on moby dick and i'm just now rereading moby dick uh for like the umpteenth time but i'm loving it and so i was really looking forward to coming over to play and talk about lovers in a dangerous space time because i feel like in some weird ways that's the closest i'm ever going to get to the experience of like being on a ship mm. with mates you know because like it, i mean it's a spaceship right but and there's always been the comparable of like spaceship to maritime ship dramas like star trek the next generation being essentially retelling of, or some thematics of it being a retelling of moby dick in a lot of ways mm -hmm. but i loved i loved that experience and i'm like you know i know it's twice abstracted not only in like a sci-fi setting but like a ooey gooey video game sci-fi setting mm -hmm. but i feel like i'm i'm in peril with you you know i'm, I'm with my mate my friend yeah. it's visually abstracted but the the actions you're taking yeah. are feel really grounded helmsman to the like to the oar yeah. you know what i mean like you're like yeah. you're on you were the captain or the navigator sure. or whatever and i was a an excellent gunner or harpooner and i was yeah, like yeah. out there like shooting at the baddies while you were like steering us true yeah. north like that felt cool to me and reach off the starboard yes, up, yes exactly <laughs> up my side yeah. yeah so you know i maybe this is the closest that modern day audiences will ever have to being on like a square sailed schooner and like off in some unknown water i know i'm getting a bit poetic on it but i am reading moby dick again but like hey, it feels like let that's it go it. let it like, let the poetry i'll out. never sail around the <laughs> cape of good hope or whatever but mm -hmm. you know i got this game where i can like go into like a space a virtual space with a friend yeah and like hear your voice and we can like fist bump at the end of a success mm -hmm. or we can like you know throw as our hands yeah. up in the scuttle. agony of defeat yeah we scuttle <laughs> on the lee shore but yeah it's 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 re it feels more real having played it with you mm -hmm. with, you know mm -hmm. with someone yeah it's not just a, a simulation of, of a boat it's like it's a experience yeah rather than like you know trying to visually visually replicate it like you know say assassin's creed sure Black yeah Flag. Oh, i'm trying to be in victorian london i'm trying to be yeah. in you know which are like have their own benefits Italy. you know they're kind of it's like a fun um almost like a costumery yeah. getting to dress up for a day like you're a pirate like you're yeah, mask like, play is important too for yeah, sure absolutely but then the the action and the actions you're taking in the game are kind of synonymous with everything else you do yeah. in that kind of game space where yeah. you jump and stab and and the game does half of the of the movement for you where and it you limits kind of, your imagination absolutely it's like you're acting out you know uh like you're you're acting out uh pirates of the caribbean essentially yeah. in that in that case rather than actually feeling like you are communicating with ship members and trying to you know oper absolutely. operate this very complex vehicle yeah. which is what a ship would be yeah, absolutely and it's it actually really reminds me of a point that you made the point you're making now reminds me of a point you made a few episodes ago when you were talking about how problematic grand theft auto was and that you had not played it mm -hmm. and a couple of times since that recording which was like months ago months ago i've thought about like on discount picking up grand theft auto again for the ps4 because i mm. wanted to try it out in first person yeah, yeah. but it was something that you said that really like i'm triggered again now by what you're saying where because that game casts you in such a specific set of roles of like criminality and of focused criminality like really the only options or actions you're given in that game are to be varying shades of evil and depraved mm -hmm. um i I remembered how problematic it was for you and how you refused to play it, and I was inspired to not play it again. Mm. Uh, I mechanically enjoyed the game quite a bit. It was one of my favorite Grand Theft Auto experiences, but 
it was your voice there being like, you know, this is something that I can make the choice. I have played it before, and I can make the choice not to play it again. And I was like, ah. And then coupled with what you're saying now, where it's like such a narrow fiction that's allowed of the player, yeah. when they're so localized into like a specific time and a specific place and a specific role. And the visual fidelity kind yeah. of demands that. Demands almost, it. Yeah. And it doesn't... I now am less inspired to go back and play that game again. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I feel like that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah. So it's, it's sorry to say I'm not working for Rockstar. No, so <laughs> it's fine. That. I got a couple friends working for Rockstar. <laughs> sorry guys. Sorry guys. Not gonna buy it again. <laughs> Waiting for the next Red Dead. Yeah. Hint, 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 hint now, hint. please. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally. I think uh, I also wanted to bring up something I found really interesting about that game. Also in the context of another game I've been playing on and off, and we talked about previously, which is Splatoon. Oh yes. And they kind of share this almost reactionary aesthetic to like a lot of what games are right now, at least in the AAA space, where mm-hmm. a lot of games tend to favor this textural, gritty, dark, um, yeah, quasi photoreal, like uh, to as far as they can push it, yeah, essentially, and totally. and very grim uh, approach to violence and. And ways of doing violence. We were just talking about Grand Theft Auto. Oh my God, the torture sequence um, was so terrible. And what's interesting about *Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time* and *Splatoon* is that, ostensibly, you're still committing violence. You're mm-hmm. you're killing things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's the same thing that you know all video games rely on because no one has figured out any other interaction that's interesting. Yeah, check out my old partner's <laughs> awesome uh, PBS game show episode about why killing is so important to video game mechanics. Mm-hmm. Jamin's excellent excellent series oh yeah yeah, yeah. you shook that out yeah I've seen a few but, of them. sorry yeah. sorry no that's a great point it's just i mean addendum yeah it's background really good. extra extra watching listening yeah. is why are games so violent um but this kind of answers that not necessarily by trying to create a new method of, of um of interaction as much as uh hey. are you kidding me hey, kitty cat <laughs> get out of here someone else wants to be in the podcast all right <laughs> Well, is it like somebody just tweeted like never have a cat if you want to have a podcast? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> this is all staying in. But so yeah, I mean, is it is it sugarcoating or is it just like I don't think it's sugarcoating. I think I think there is like a a a discernible like effort to to make it a more pleasant experience, an experience that doesn't necessarily tap into our ugliest impulses. Yes, which I think a lot of games do. Like even though getting to vent in a shooter is fine and, and is fun to do and sure. and you're not i don't think there's any that is there's any weight to the theory that it makes you want to shoot people. no i i don't think but so. i do think that there is like a there's just a a lack a, a dearth of of games that are trying that that are more positive in scope and yeah. more optimistic and more honestly even aimed at children which i think a lot of nintendo games do end up being and it can be limiting, like sure. in terms of like the breadth of what they're trying to accomplish. Like it still can, it, it it can be it can limit the game. So I don't think that's necessarily the goal. I think the goal is more just like you know let's embrace cuteness, let's embrace yeah, aesthetic like yeah. nonviolence, yeah, even exactly. though there's violence in the game. And like and and that affects the nature of of the actual action because like we were just saying with you know an Assassin's Creed or GTA, like these are games where the aesthetics color the actions Absolutely. in a way that for me makes me uncomfortable not necessarily I mean we're talking about GTA but, yeah varying degrees but the varying idea degrees. of like how this how like this like this high end visual aesthetic like kind of this photoreal visual aesthetic makes you 
it gives it like a tinge of the cinematic yeah, and, you and buy the controlled it. and yeah. like you're like this is the world this is the exact world i'm in this is the the mood that I, that's been set for the game mm-hmm. and aesthetics totally drive mood and tone absolutely so you know i think that's a really important it's a visual medium after all mm-hmm. you know so like when so the aesthetic is such an important decision to make and then when you have these games like lovers and splatoon that are trying to to approach um the aesthetic from this like you know Let's just have, games are fun, you yeah, know. Yeah, games can be fun, and, and it's like, and it's like a, it's a, it's a youthful, but it's also like a, it's like a, a hopeful, sort of approach to, to a, even though it's like a competitive, and and challenging and some somewhat stressful like experience. Like, sure. I mean, Splatoon, for example, you know, it's very can be very competitive, I but it's also it, yeah. just like it never like beats you down. No, you know? I feel I feel joy every time I play. That yeah, game. it's a it's a joyful thing, yeah. which I think lovers also embraces. I think so too. The idea and I of like it. this joyful cooperation. Yeah, and you when know? you rescue five of those space bunnies and they form a pentagram <laughs> around your ship and then shoot yeah. rainbow towards the direction, I was like, yeah, it's, it's just it's, so great. It's like it's silly and it's like it's. I mean, it's tongue in cheek to a certain extent, but it's also oh, but like I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, but it's also very optimistic and and joyful and just like um, at the end of the day, like that is what you're taking away from it. Like as much like you know, you're not kind of showing up. I'm trying to think of like another space game like that is more great. I mean, like say Dark Space. Sure. <laughs> or no, Dead Space. Dead Space. Dead, yeah. space. Dead space is horribly great um, in space. Which I. It's one, also one of my favorite last-gen games. Yeah. Great game. The original was but, fantastic. Yeah, it was so good. Um, you're killing aliens, you're still killing aliens, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how much aesthetics can can determine how you all go away from your Absolutely. game. Absolutely. And, like, you know, there's no joy in Dead Space. Huh. There's just, like, relief that you've not died gruesomely. Apples to oranges. <laughs> like, your death in Dead Space was always accompanied with a horrific miniature cutscene. And yeah. when we died every time in Lovers in a Dangerous so Space Time, you watch. explode into a starburst that looks like the like the crescendo of a fire of like an actual July Fourth fireworks display. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was I like your cheered death is, our death. death. Is beautiful. I was like, yay, starburst! <laughs> your death is beautiful and exciting. Totally, man. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, man. Like back at it, back in the saddle. Yeah, absolutely. Another another episode ca- down. Good, good episode that came out the year. Yeah, I would say. About, exactly. And yeah, happy New Year in advance, man. And to you and to everyone who listens. Yeah, yeah. man. All you lovers out there in these dangerous space times can't wait to see what 26 brings in terms of yeah. opportunities and also uh games to talk games about games to talk about man and of course cool. always a shout out to brian yeah good old brian old school brian on twitter yep and at old school brian yeah um and everyone have a happy and healthy new year and see you later